Well, it's great to have you all here today in the house and also connecting online, joining our live feed, or as Dan said earlier on, we also welcome those of you in the future that are joining us. I remember I was in Vancouver once, and there was a, one of these bicycle rental places there, and had a little sign outside of it, and it said, interested in time travel? Join us here last Tuesday. <laughs> I took a photo of that. I thought that was great. But isn't it amazing that we are time traveling right now? That right now it is the year, it is April 2021, but there is somebody in the year 2029, in the month of September, watching this. Yes, you! You're looking at the, oh, it is September, and it's 2029, and you're watching this video and giving your life to Christ right now in 2029, being healed, whatever it is that's happening. God, there is, you know, there's no time and distance with God. We're doing this here, but God has seen it. This, everything that happened in the past, everything that is going to happen in the future. Remember, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Not, I, not even I was. Not before Abraham was, I was. God always exists in the present moment. And whether you're watching this live or joining us some other time, or whether you're in this room right now, any moment that we connect with God becomes a moment where eternity can invade earth and everything can in our lives, minds, in our hearts, in our families. And the biggest tool that God has given us to produce change is His Word. God's Word is like seed. You know, Jesus said, the sower sows the Word of God. And our hearts are like soil. And if you want to see, if you're a farmer and you've got no crops and you're dying of starvation, um, you know that if you want crops to grow at harvest time, you need to be planting seeds at seed time. And yet, somehow or other, God has given us the biggest bag of seeds called the Word of God. Somehow or other, we don't want to plant the seeds in the soil of our heart, yet we still expect a harvest whenever we're facing a difficulty. And so today, I want to talk about the importance and the life-transforming power of the Scriptures, of the Word of God. This is part two of our message series, Rooted. Last week, we looked at how our lives need to be rooted in Christ that our faith should be in Christ and in Christ alone. And today we want to look about a, another area of our roots. We want to see how our lives need to be grounded in the Word. Is that what I called this? Yes, it is. Okay, let's say that together. Grounded in the Word. Let's say it again. Grounded in the Word. Your life needs to be grounded in something. You don't want to be like a tumbleweed that just blows down the road. 
You want to be like an oak tree whose roots go down deep, and no matter how strong the winds get, and I don't know about you, but in St. Albert, the winds were strong last night, I noticed. No matter how strong the winds get, those oak trees stand firm because they are rooted and grounded. And so, I want us, just before we, we actually get to the Scriptures, I, I want to just share with you something that is it's a bit of a tragedy, and it's also an irony, and it's this. The Christians in the world who have the least amount of Scripture are the people who value it the most. And the Christians in the world that have 26 different English translations kicking about their house never bother picking them up and reading them. Do you know that? It's, it is a bizarre thing that if you go to countries where Christianity is persecuted and you go into the church, a church there, and very often it will be meeting in secret, you will find out that they, they might only have one Bible between the whole church. And what they do when they get a Bible is they rip it up, they break it up into books. You know, here you have the book of Proverbs. I'll take John's Gospel. Here's the book of Ephesians for you and the book of Romans. Take it home and memorize it, and then once you've memorized it, bring it back and swap it with somebody else. Now, we have got Bibles and commentaries and concordances and podcasts and websites with every translation under the sun under it. And do you want to know something? We Christians in the West, we read less of the Scriptures than those people who hardly have any of it. We read far less of it. And here's another strange fact. In the Western world, where Christians read less Scripture, they think they know more Scripture. I mean, it's a bizarre thing that Western Christians actually believe they have this great knowledge of Christianity and the Bible, but you only have to have a three-minute conversation to actually find out. See, I've got a little test that, well, I'm going to blow it now. I can't do it anymore, can I? But, you know, sometimes when I, if I'm talking to somebody and they're, you know, oh, they're no, everybody else is wrong and everyone's theology is wrong, blah, 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 blah. Um, who came first? Job or King David? Well, I don't know. All of a sudden you realize we don't know the Bible. We don't read the Bible. We have opinions about the Bible. And another bizarre thing about Christians in the West who don't read their Bible, don't know their Bible, but think they know more about the Bible, you would not believe the number of times Western Christians have told me that they think the Bible needs to be updated because some of the things in it are now old-fashioned. Because poor old God, his geriatric mind just can't keep up with the times or something like that, you know? And all of those opinions show me that we don't know the Scriptures enough. Because see, when I spend time reading the Word of God, do you know what I find? All of my arguments fall flat. It's like, it is written. 
and there is a, a power and a force of truth in Scripture that when you're reading it, you can't deny it. You might not like it. You might feel uncomfortable with it. You might squirm a little bit, but the force of truth is in it, and you know it is. Let's just have a look at a, a very well-known passage of Scripture. It is from Second Timothy, and actually Dan shared this just a few weeks ago, this same passage, but let's just start off with it. He says, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Now, this is a really important point. I, I talk about it a lot in my books. Uh, what's the book called? Secrets of Spiritual Growth. And I did a whole message series here a couple of years ago called Secrets of Spiritual Growth. And, and it's on YouTube. You can find it. But I talk about how the Bible speaks about three main stages of spiritual growth. First of all, when you first become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, the Bible calls that being born again. And the Bible says that spiritually, you are now a baby. You're just a little baby, spiritually speaking. Or as the, the Bible calls it, you're a babe in Christ. I think the last time I mentioned that, I said, I've always thought that would be a great name for a woman's ministry, babes in Christ. But I think that would be great. But anyway, you're a babe in Christ. And then after you're a babe in Christ, there are three stages of spiritual growth. There's the childhood stage, the youth stage, and the parenthood stage. And you do go through different phases in your spiritual journey. And sometimes you get to a phase where you realize that some attitudes you had, some understandings of the Bible, some understandings of Christian doctrine weren't maybe quite right, and you tweak them, and you change them, and as you become exposed to more information, you kind of mature a bit. But there is a danger that sometimes when people are going through a transition, from one stage to another, they throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? And so, maybe they were part of a church that was very legalistic and strict and a bit judgmental on people and that, and they've realized that God doesn't want us to be judgmental. God wants us to be forgiving. It's not about legalism. It's about grace. And sometimes people just throw a whole bunch of truths out along with the negative attitudes. And the way I likened it in that message series was to building a three-story house. You know, you might build the first story first, that's the childhood stage, when you're getting to know Jesus and that God is your Father and the power of the cross and the fact that you are forgiven. And then you build the second story of your house, the kind of youth stage where you're learning about Scripture and about life and how it applies to your life and what the, the Bible teaches. And then you start to build the third story of your house. Well, no one in their right mind goes and demolishes the first two stories in order to build the third story. The whole house collapses. Yet, I've seen Christians, as they come mature and come into a new understanding of God, go and start demolishing their foundations. Oh, I don't believe in this anymore or that anymore. Sooner or later, your house will fall grow, keep growing. But as you're growing, you must remain faithful to the things you were taught, the truth of the gospel. Don't stray from that. And then he says, you know they are true. 
for you know you can trust those who taught you. And listen, I'm speaking especially to those of you watching online. Find, if you're not part of a church, find a church you can trust. Find some pastors and teachers that believe the Scriptures, that will faithfully teach the Scriptures. Find some people. If you're in a church and you can't trust anybody, nobody preaches the gospel and it's all false teaching, and you've been there for three years complaining about it, what are you doing? Either trust the people and support them or get out of there and find people you can trust and support them, but the big key to finding people you can trust is can you trust what they teach? Are they teaching what the Scriptures say? And he says, you know you can trust those who taught you, for you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. So, the first thing we get is the Scriptures teach us about salvation that comes from trusting in Christ. And then it goes on. Let's read on. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Listen, you want your life to be grounded in reality, okay? Now, I, I look at uh, the way our, the secular side of our culture is, gro is going, and it looks to me like it's going further and further away from reality. It looks like people can no longer handle real truths about the real world and what real life is all about. And so there's, we live in an age where people are coming up with all kinds of theories. I, perfectly seriously, I came across a guy on social media who's a journalist, and I'm trying to remember what his pronouns were. I can't remember, but it was something to do with horses, you know, like giddy up boy or something, because he's not a human, he's a horsekin. A horsekin. Was there not once a time we would have given that man medication to help him out? But now we, oh, he's, and his friends were affirming him. Yes, yes, he's a horsekin. I know some of you are sitting there saying, I don't understand anything you're saying. Yeah, I don't understand it either. I want to tell you something. If you don't believe in God and you don't believe God's Word, you, it's not that you believe nothing. You will believe absolutely anything, including the fact that a 35-year-old grown man is really a horse trapped in a human's body. You know, you'll believe anything. We want to, to, to ground our lives and every decision we make in reality, in truth, and God's Word reveals the truth. And it says, it teaches us what is true, and it makes us realize what is wrong in our life. What's wrong in your life? You're not a horse, you're a man. You need to realize that God created you in His image, human, a human being. That is true. That truth would set that man free to eat a normal human diet for a star and whatever else he does. So, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now, that word equip is really interesting. 
Just before I talk about it, I just want you to notice two things. The Scriptures are true and reveal the truth, and God has provided people who are teachers uh, who teach the, the Scriptures and teach what is true. We're going to come back to those two things. But I want to just stick with this word equip. It is able to equip you. It's a really interesting word in the Bible. It's used in a number of different ways not only in the Bible, but in the ancient world. For instance, you remember when Jesus is walking by the shore and He sees Peter and James and John mending their fishing nets? Do you know they were equipping their fishing nets? The word equip means to mend that which is broken and to put things back together. Do you know that in the ancient world, if you broke your bone and they took you to a doctor, the doctor would equip your bone? That's the Greek word they would use, the same word for equip. It means he would set your bone. He would push it back into place. If you're out of place in the body of Christ, the Word of God will click you back into place. It will equip you. It will help you. Um, let me think, what else was it used for? It was used for meaning to, <clears throat> let's say you were, you were planting vines because you wanted a vineyard and you wanted grapes and you wanted to make vine, uh, wine. You would build a trellis first because grapevines just go along the ground, and that trellis would hold up the vines. That's the same word again. To equip means to to, to put broken bones back into place, to mend fishing nets, to build a trellis that a vine can grow up. In other words, the Word of God will be the structure. It will be the trellis. It will be the splint. It will be whatever you need. The Word of God is a structure around which your life can grow, can flourish, and you can find your proper place in the world. Equip. So now, I want to show you that word again. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Here it's going to talk about teachers who teach the Word. And it says this, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now, all of these people are preachers and teachers of some kind, but it specifically mentions teachers there. Remember, Paul said to Timothy, you can trust those who taught you, your teachers. So, here are people who teach the Word of God, and it says their responsibility is to what? What is it? To equip God's people, to mend them when they are broken and separated, and to bring unity to them, to make sure they find and click into their right place in the body of Christ, to provide a support structure uh, through which their life can grow and bear fruit. If people are teaching you the Word of God, and they are faithful teachers, and they're teaching in a helpful manner, like Paul said he did, then it should be providing some answers and solutions to the problems in their lives. The Word of God is God's solution book, God's answer book. And so it says here, uh, their, their responsibility is to equip God's people, 
And what happens when, when they do that? Then we will no longer be immature children, like children, and we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. You know, every time some crazy idea comes out and it begins to spread and people begin to make videos about it and begin to talk about it and you think, oh, is this true or is it not true? You know, I mean, if you want to, if you want to know how you can take the Bible and turn it into wackadoodle ideas, the History Channel, Ancient Aliens. Just watch it sometime, you know. Oh, the Israelites were led by a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of, no, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And now let's go to a man with his hair sticking up everywhere. And he will say, it was the jet coming out of a UFO that they were following. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, honestly, if you don't believe the Word of God, you'll believe anything. You know, you know the famous atheist, Richard Dawkins? So I saw an interview with him once. And the interviewer was saying, okay, how did life begin? How did the spark of life begin? He said, I don't know. So you don't have a… He said, okay, okay, it definitely, absolutely, definitely wasn't God. Definitely. He said, maybe some aliens came and seeded life into the world. And the interviewer said, where's your evidence for this? And he said, well, I don't have any, but I know for sure it definitely wasn't God. And if it was a God, it definitely wasn't the biblical God. I know that for sure, he said. You'll believe anything if your life is not grounded in the truth. So watch about being tossed to and fro by every kind of teaching. The Bible can be misused. The Scriptures can be misused. I mean, some of you maybe once were part of a cult or something like that that actually quoted the Bible but misused it. The Bible calls that twisting Scripture. And even, even in, the t in the very early church, when the apostles, the apostles who had lived with Jesus were still alive, they had to warn us, make sure your life is grounded in the Word of God, because otherwise there are people who will confuse you. Look at what Peter says here. Um, oh, next one. Let's go to the next one. 2 Peter chapter 3, he says this, this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. So here we've got Peter now talking about Paul's letters, okay? Speaking in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand. No kidding, eh? You ever read the book of Romans? The things I do or the things I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do or the things I do and somehow or other I do the things that I don't want to do and don't do the things that I want to do and I can't stop doing these things that I don't want to do and I, can't, I never do the things I want to do and I just don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, that's basically what Paul says at one point. And then he concludes by saying, thank God Jesus has delivered us from all that mess, isn't it? You know? So, I mean, like there are complex things in there. And he says, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different 
just as they do with the other parts of Scripture. Peter is saying Paul's letters are Scripture. They're as much Scripture as the Old Testament is. They twist Paul's words just like they twist the Old Testament. He's saying people twist the Scriptures, and they do so out of two reasons. Number one is ignorance. I just don't know what the Bible says, so maybe, maybe it means this. And another, another reason uh, is out of, where is it? Being unstable. Sometimes people are, are emotional, and uh, something triggers them, and they jump to the opposite extreme, and they start trying to look for, for things. That, listen, the only way your life will be stable will be if your roots go down deep into the Word of God. If your roots go down deep into the Word of God, and you are someone who reads the Scriptures, and you study them, and you read them prayerfully, and God fills your heart and mind with them, your life will become stable and strong. And if you hear something preached or taught, or someone says something to you, and it doesn't, it just, an alarm bell goes off inside, this does, this doesn't ring true. This doesn't fit in with the overall teaching of Scripture. Or problems in life come to you as some disaster comes your way, and instead of saying, why did God allow this to happen? You will stand firm. The winds may blow against you, but you will stand strong like an oak tree because your roots are down deep into the Scriptures, and you know that even though I don't understand what is going on in my life right now, I understand that the Word of God says that He is good, that He is faithful, that that which He has promised He will bring to completion, that His, His eyes are always on me, that I'm safe in my Father's arms. I know that that is true. Regardless of what's going on around me, my roots go down deep. And He says, um, and this will result in their destruction. So, make sure you know the Scriptures. Don't… Listen, We've just said it's important to find teachers who are faithful and will teach you, but that in its own is not enough. You need to be a self-feeder. It's okay to be a little bird in the nest and come to church as a little baby Christian with your mouth open and just get fed by the mama bird. That's fine, but sooner or later, that little bird needs to start feeding itself, and you need to start reading and studying the Scriptures yourself. The famous British Pentecostal evangelist Smith Wigglesworth used to have a saying, he used to say, most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day and feed their spirit one cold snack a week. I'll just get whatever I get at church. Whatever the pastor, the mama bird's been eating and is now going to regurgitate down my throat, I'll take that, but I'll never actually read it for myself. So, we don't want to be like that. We want to be people whose roots go down deep. Let me show you this. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus actually spoke about this in the parable of the sower. He talked about the importance for the Word of God taking root in your heart and going down deep. And he says, it says this, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seed. The seed that fell on the footpath, now remember, 
Jesus said the farmer sows seed, and there's four different kinds. There's a footpath. A footpath has been trodden on, trodden on, trodden on, until the soil has become hard. And it is true that some people's hearts have been walked all over in life, and they have become hard-hearted as a result, and they're scared to open to God. So that's one kind. The seed that fell on the, on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their heart. And then he talks about the next kind. And look at this. This is all bold. This is the important verse for us today. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's Word. Do you see, there are some people who we think have become Christians. They're like super enthusiastic. Oh, this sounds great. I'm on board. Let me join. Get open the baptism tank. Woohoo! Amen. And after three weeks, you never see them ever again. Never again. It's not always about the outward emotion. I remember once back in Scotland, uh, this woman in our church, she was a woman that kind of like would accost people and drag them to church. You need saved. And she would bring them to church, and you knew they didn't really want to be there, you know. Anyway, she brought this woman in who was a new age. I mean, she even looked like a new age hippie on the outside. And, and she was a, a new ager, like crystal balls and tarot cards and the whole, the whole thing. She was into the whole thing. Well, the end of the message, the end of the service, this woman brought her down the front and said, she wants to get saved. And I said, do you? And she said, I guess so. <laughs> so I spoke to her for a minute or two, and I led her on a prayer, and off she went, and I said to my wife, if she's saved, I'm a monkey's uncle, you know, because, like, there was no sign of any emotion or even any interest. That woman went home and threw out five black bin sacks full of occult books and paraphernalia and was at church every Sunday after that, worshiping God and grateful for being saved. On the outside, it looked like nothing. And there's other people, woo I'm joining this church. It's fantastic. Never see them ever again, right? Look, it says here, because they, they receive it with joy, but they don't have deep roots. It's not gone down into their heart. Why? Because it's rocky soil. They've got all this other junk in there in their heart, distractions and things that are more important to them and all that stuff. And then let's read on. He says, the next one, and the seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's Word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, and so no fruit is produced, but the seed that fell on good soil represent those who truly hear and understand God's Word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as had been planted. So it's important not to have rocky soil in your heart, not to block the Word of God from going deep down in your heart if you, through problems and persecution. 
Now, if you get the Word of God planted deep down in your heart, it doesn't matter if problems or persecution come after that. Seeds have got a way of pushing all of that out the road, haven't they? Look at this next picture. Isn't that a beauty? Look at that big rock. A strong boulder, but it could not withstand the slow, progressive growth of that tree. Now, if that rock had been there first and the seed had been put on top of it, that tree would never grow. But the seed was there first. It got its roots down. And then someone rolled a big boulder of problems, of difficulties, of persecution, of doubts, whatever it was on top of it. But that seed was there, and it grew, and it found a little crack in the rock, and it split. Faith will move the mountains in your life. And so, make sure you get the Word of God planted deep down inside you. Um, you know, Jesus, last week I said we need to be rooted in Christ. And really what I'm talking about here today, be grounded in the Word, is exactly the same thing. Because the Bible is the written Word of God. It's, it's the Word of God in, a, in, in, in human words that we can read or we can hear. But Jesus is the living Word of God. He's God's Word, God's message in human form. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became a human being and dwelt among us. And so, is it, you know, as we grow in our knowledge of God's Word, we are growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ Himself. And in fact, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to some of His disciples and spoke with them. And there's an amazing verse. It's in Luke's Gospel. Can you just stick it up quick? We're not going to read it all, but I just want you to find the bit. Look at this. Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and explaining from all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And they said to each other, I wonder if you've ever had this experience. This is just, I mean, this, when you have these experiences, you know, when the Scriptures leap off the page, or when you just prayed and asked God about a problem that you had, and then you turn to the Bible, and oh my goodness, it's written, is the ink still wet? Did somebody just write this? I mean, it's just about me. And he says here, they said here, didn't our hearts burn within us as He talked with us on the road and explained the Scriptures to us? That's why in September we're starting Gateway Academy, our school of ministry. And that's why next month in May we have three nights, three nights, just sample nights for you to come along. Because we want you to get to be hungry for the Word and for the Word to come alive to you and for your eyes to widen and your heart to burn within you and your mind to soar with all the possibilities that God is bringing into your life as the Word of God comes alive to you. Check that out. Three nights in May. Go online, gateway.ac slash academy, and check out those three nights. They are there for your benefit. It's like we're putting on a banquet, a buffet, 
Come and feast your soul on the Word of God. Of course, the best, the best uh, passage in the Bible that speaks of the Word of God is the longest passage in the Bible. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. And it is all about the Word of God. And I just want to read you a few verses in it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have hidden your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Let's read on. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Let's go to the next one. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. They give me more understanding than all my teachers. You know, you could give somebody a full education just on the Bible. You could teach them grammar. You could teach them history. You could teach them uh, science. You could teach them sociology. You could teach them math. I mean, there's a book of numbers in there. I mean, there's a whole, you, you could give some. If someone just had the Word of God, I'm telling you, they could become wiser than a professor in the university. And it says here, uh, for, anyway, let's read on. The next one. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's say that last sentence together. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, what on earth could this possibly mean? Well, you know how in the ancient world they used oil lamps? They would put oil in the oil lamp and they would light the end of it, and that was how they would light their houses with oil lamps. Well, do you, and of course, you know, in the Middle East, they wore sandals. Do you know they had something called a tow lamp? I have shown you this before, but that was a while ago. Here we go. Put my tow lamp up. That's a tow lamp. Do you see that little hole there? You fill it with oil, and then you stick it on your big toe at night, and you light it, and then you walk. It's like, you know, when people are on their bicycle, they've got a a flashlight. It's like you've got a flashlight on your foot. And as you were going home, you could see the path with your little toe lamp. That's what this Scripture is saying. If you know God's Word, if you fill your heart and your mind with God's Word, if you put your roots deep down into God's Word, you will find that it will guide you through life. Every step you take, everywhere you go, every decision you have to make, every difficulty that comes your way, every time you feel like you're stumbling about in darkness, the words of the Lord will come to your mind and they will give you guidance. God's Word will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. So I am closing by saying this. Read God's Word for heaven's sake, especially those of you who are still at home. You could have memorized the entire New Testament in the last year. What have we been doing? There's nothing good on Netflix. 
Well, there's a whole lot good in the Word of God. Maybe pick it up. Maybe have a read at that. Maybe let your roots go down deep and allow your life to be enlightened with wisdom and knowledge and truth and reality. Come on, let's stand together. We're going to say this prayer as we close. The same prayer we said last week. So come on, let's lift our hands. Let's lift our voices. Let's lift our faith. And let's say together, one, two, three. Father God, today I ask you to fill me afresh with your spirit, love, and power. May Jesus Christ be the center of my life. May your word be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. May my roots go down deep into the soil of your love. May my life be grounded in you. May I be filled to overflowing with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give God a shout. Come on.